Fortunately, God's discipline worked. Hebrews 12 verse 11 says, Now all discipline, while it is happening, does indeed seem painful, not enjoyable. But for those who have been trained by it, it later produces its peaceful fruit, which is righteousness. When Nebuchadnezzar returned to the palace, he was a different man. He was radically transformed. He was a new creation. He no longer laid claim to extreme sovereignty or wisdom. He perceived his greatness as God-given. All authority and leadership upon the earth is only given to us by God in heaven. Verse uh, 35 of Daniel 4 says, All who live on earth are counted as nothing. He does what he wishes with the army of heaven and with those living on earth. No one can hold back his hand or ask him, what are you doing? He honored God rather than himself as a source of all good things. Nebuchadnezzar, after seven years of being broken and having the kingdom removed from him, had developed a teachable spirit. Mishpocha, what's that tell us? I don't want to have to eat grass and live outside for seven years to have a teachable spirit. What did he learn in his humility? He learned grateful words. The king expressed appreciation and blessing for God's grace and mercy. He learned a big-picture perspective. The king now saw things from a new heavenly divine perspective. He says, I'm pleased to recount the signs and wonders which the Most High God has done for me. How great are his signs. How powerful his wonders. His kingdom lasts forever, and he rules all generations. That was verse 2 and verse 3 of Daniel 4. He had a divine heavenly revelation. He didn't get this from Daniel. He didn't get this from an itinerant pastor or messianic rabbi. He got this from heaven itself. He had a revelation. He'd had a God encounter. He learned to have a humble heart. Verse 37, he said, for all his works are truth and his ways are just, and he can humble those who walk in pride. Probably Nebuchadnezzar was one of the most prideful rulers recorded in scripture, and Adonai humbled him. The king expressed humility regarding his own importance and power. In this time, through humility and a teachable spirit, he got a magnetic spirit. Remember that we talked about this. He got charisma. He got, if you will, an early messianic anointing. Verse 36 says, my advisors and lords, they sought me out. They were drawn to him. He said, I was reestablished in my kingdom. And to my previous greatness, even more was added. This is powerful. The king once more was, was attracting nobles and counselors and international rulers. Hey, how about you? Are you in possession of a teachable spirit? Are you humble enough to be taught and to seek to grow? Hey, I, I want to be transparent here for a second. Uh, you know, we go to the MJA Messiah conferences. We go to the regional conferences. And I almost always look forward to the yeshivas. I've been ordained since 2006, that's 15 years ago. Do I have to go to these things? No. Am I required to go to these? No. But I look forward to this. We have such great and dynamic teachers. The movement has so much wisdom. We have so many gifted people. I'm always excited to get to that yeshiva and, and to expand and to grow and to be able to be taught myself. I sign up and I attend. But I'm going to be honest, I'm a little dismayed because I commonly see only a handful of rabbis, a handful of associate rabbis. I, I, where's the teachable spirit? I myself, I can only speak for me, but I'm always seeking to grow, to learn new things, to develop my own leadership skills, to improve myself. Why? That I may serve God better, that I can glorify him even better than I've ever done before. Let's consider a few steps to improve your teachability. 
don't believe your own accolades. The greatest enemy of tomorrow's success is today's accolades. Don't get distracted by your own achievements. We tend here, Here's the common thought process. Uh, when any church or Messianic synagogue becomes successful, we've arrived, we're here. I want to reveal a mystery to you today. You're never there. There's only one time ever that you will be there, and that's one of two places. You're either going to graduate and be in his glory, or you'll be alive when Yeshua returns. That's the there moment. Until that time, the kingdom of God is forever expanding, is forever growing. We ourselves must be forever expanding and growing to keep pace with it. Don't believe your own success and say, we're here, because you're not. Number two, observe and be careful of how you react to mistakes. We've talked about this already. Learn to fall forward. It's okay to make them. I make them, listen, no one is perfect except for Yeshua. And so if you're leading people, if you're in a leadership position, if you've been doing this for any time whatsoever, if you have a business, whatever position you're in, you make mistakes. But admit it when you make them. Have transparency. Have accountability. Do you you apologize and move forward, or do you immediately get defensive and point the fingers? Well, it's this fault. It's that fault. This person here didn't do their job. Listen, you got to get real with the mistakes, and and you got to move forward in the kingdom, and you got to be transparent with yourself, and that's the only way we'll grow, to receive that constructive criticism and to overcome our past failures and to move forward in success in the kingdom. You've also got to try something new. When was the last time you went to a leadership retreat? When was the last time you read a leadership book? You know, I've said a few of these talks ago, I've almost stopped reading all books. There's one book I'm focused upon, and that's the Word of God. That's one of the that's the greatest mentor book you can ever read. Everything you need to know about life is in that book. The few books that I do read, I read on developing my own personal leadership skills, how to team build, how to communicate, how to do things better with our team, with our ministry here. Challenges change us for the better and keep us learning. I never want to stop learning. I'm passionate. I hunger. I desire to seek and learn new things. I love it when I sit down and read a verse and say, wow, I never saw that before. I'm so blessed when I get taught and I sit at a yeshiva and I say, wow, I never knew that. I never heard that before. And I desire that every day of my life. I want fresh manna from heaven every day. I don't want the old stale bread of yesterday, but I want the fresh fire of God every day. And and I share this often. I share it with our own staff here. Grow in your area of strength. Listen, for me personally, and this isn't an arrogant statement, but that's one of my giftings is leadership. And so what, what I work for myself on is to develop that and get even stronger. One of the worst areas for me, and I'm just going to be truthful here, I'm not good on details. Those are on the staff here. I share them. They know that. And so, I've listen, my wife, beautiful Rabitzin Barb, is wonderful with detail. She leaves no carpet unturned, no I is undotted, no T is uncrossed. And, and she's one of several here on the staff that, that helped me in that arena because I could spend 110% of my time to work in this area that's probably, for me, about a 20% success rate, and I would only increase that by maybe two or three points. It is my known weakness. I, I've got others, but we're not going to focus on those. We'll save those for other Kadima talks. So I, I, I got to work to strive and build and increase 
in my area of giftedness and to keep stretching myself in that uh, in that area. But I got to remain teachable and surround myself with those who have these various giftings. This is why it takes the entire body, as Paul talked about. To make it, we need the toes, the feet, the hands, the eyes, the nose, the, the arms, the leg. We need it all to put it together because we all have the gifts from God that when we work together in harmony and unity, we see phenomenal supernatural success. Don't be satisfied with where you're at today. Keep stretching. Keep being teachable. And here's why this is critical, because if we don't learn from history, this is part of teachability, we will repeat it. Zechariah 1, verses 2 through 6, and this is about the restoration of Israel. This is about the, the post-exilic restoration of when Israel is being restored back to the land after 70 years of diaspora. Verse 2 of Zechariah 1, Adonai was extremely angry with your ancestors. Now, th this is the Lord speaking to Zechariah. Verse 3, therefore, tell them that Adonai Sevaoth says this, return to me says Adonai Sevo, the Lord of hosts, and I will return to you. This is one of the most beautiful statements in the scripture. That holds true to you today. Maybe you've just been kind of cruising through the internet and Kadima, what does that mean? You clicked on this and, uh, and maybe you've strayed from God. Maybe you've never had a relationship with him, but this is so profound. He says, return to me, says the Lord of hosts, and I'll return to you, says the Lord of hosts. If you take that step toward him, he's going to take that step towards you and you will be reconciled unto him through Yeshua, ask Yeshua into your heart, and you'll have your own God encounter that very moment. Verse 4, he says, Don't be like your ancestors. The earlier prophets proclaimed to them, Adonai Seva Oates says, to turn back now from your evil ways and deeds. Repent. But they didn't listen or pay attention to me. Listen, we just shared that with Nebuchadnezzar. What a horrible prophecy, this dream that he had. All he had to do was repent. It could have averted seven years of living like an animal. And, and the Lord is now saying to, the, to Zechariah, he says he spoke to the people, and he said, turn back from your evil ways and deeds, repent. But they didn't listen or pay attention to me, says Adonai. Verse 5 of Zechariah 1, your ancestors, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? Verse 6, the Lord says, But my words and my laws, which I ordered my servants, the prophets, overtook your ancestors, didn't they? And they turned and said, Adonai has dealt with us according to our ways and deeds, just as he intended to. Godly leaders have a teachable spirit. They're continuously learning. And we must keep learning and retain that teachable spirit or you'll stop leading. We cannot afford to become stagnant. The world, And this is, again, so critical for us today. Our world is dynamically changing. And our people are changing too quickly, but to the wrong side. We have to have new insights. And there's new opportunities that come before us all the time. I shared this last Shabbat. All the stuff that everyone's so depressed and anxious about what's happening. But can I tell you, it's one of the greatest opportunities we've ever had since Yeshua arrived here on the earth. Zechariah needed to learn from the past, so do we. His forefathers had failed to follow, obey, and worship the Lord, and it cost us 70 years in diaspora. It would happen again 2,000 years ago, and this time cost us 1,800 years in diaspora, exile, removal from the land, and put into the foreign lands. God warned Zechariah, take heed, learn from history, and don't follow in their footsteps. God gave him from some specific points here. He told him to learn from the past. Israel's previous years 
We're to warn future generations, and it's a warning for us today to not be stiff-necked, to not apostatize from God, but to repent and turn back to him. God told him to learn from the prophets. These men of God spoke God's word and cautioned Israel to listen, but we didn't. We disobeyed. God told us to learn from the people. They repeatedly failed to repent. They were miserable, and it cost removal from the land and 70 years of diaspora in Babylon and Persian. God told them to learn from the problems. Trials served to punish the people for disobedience. It's judgment. God told them to learn from the present. Zechariah found himself in a similar predicament. Listen, we're being restored to the land, but there's still sin in the camp. The people still hadn't learned. See, this is a unique paradigm for leadership today. And, and there can only be one vision for your business or for your congregation. But you as a leader have to be able to have a dual vision. Now, what do I mean by I'm not talking about giving the people in the congregation a dual vision. But you have to be able to comprehend where you're at right now. How do we get here? Think about the situation and the atmosphere around us, the present. How do we get to this place? And, and what's happened to us in the past when we were at this place? But we also have to be able to look into the future and say, where do we need to go to get out of this place? How do we get wide-scale, sovereign move of God in our nation today? How do we get the people to repent? How, how can we thwart and turn off judgment? How can we get the people to be like Nineveh and, and the whole-scale fasting, prayer, and seeking God? Zechariah found himself in that same place, the present, the past, and what can we do to get to the future, to get to the place of shalom in the absence of conflict? God also told him to learn about the principles of God. God's truth from the word cried out to Zachariah's generation, and they were teachable. If we don't learn from history, we're going to repeat it. And the final example here as we close out today, I think it was one of the most powerful. And it brings together two things here. We're talking about a teachable spirit, but it's also about team building and delegation and how powerful that can be when leaders have a teachable spirit. Jethro, Yitro, Moshe's father-in-law, visited Moses after the Exodus. Moshe shared with him the miracles God did in the 10 plagues, actually the 11 plagues, if you include the crossing of the Sea of Suf, and delivering Israel supernaturally from slavery in Egypt. Yitro, Jethro, proclaimed Adonai is God and did a sacrifice to him. But the following day in Exodus 18, verses 13 through 16, Moshe sat to settle disputes for the people. And while the people stood around Moshe from morning till evening. So let's set the precedence here. This is going on from sunrise to sunset. Back, back in those days, we're not working from 8 to 4.30. We're talking a 12 to 13 hour day. Verse 14, when Moshe's father-in-law saw all that he was doing to help the people, he said, what is this that you're doing to the people? Why do you sit there alone with all the people standing around you from morning till evening? Verse 15, Moshe answered his father-in-law, it's because the people come to me seeking God's guidance. Verse 16, whenever they have a dispute, it comes to me. I judge between one person and another, and I explain to them God's laws and teachings. Let's pause here for a second. There are way too many people. There are millions of people here, and Moshe is just one man. Another issue here is that people don't know Torah themselves. So every dispute, every argument needs someone to intervene to adjudicate the dispute. 
Listen, Moses, who's 80, heard from his father-in-law, who was probably around 100 years old. Talk about Lador Vador. And, and by the way, guess who's, who's there with him? His faithful and loyal Yehoshua. So we've, we've got now being passed down to multiple generations in what is about to happen. In verse 17 of Exodus 18, Yitro Jethro is very bold. Moshe's father-in-law said to him, what you're doing isn't good. This is constructive, good criticism. Verse 18, you will certainly wear yourself out, and not only yourself, but these people here with you as well. It's too much for you. You can't do it alone by yourself. Verse 19, so listen now to what I have to say. Can I bring this into the vernacular of what we're doing right now? Have a teachable spirit. Let me sow into you and receive about receive what I'm about to plant into you. So listen now to what I have to say, verse 19, and I will give you some advice, and God will be with you. You should represent the people before God, and you should bring their cases to God. You should also teach them the laws and the teachings and show them how to live their lives and what work they should do. Verse 21, but you should choose from among all the people, competent men who are God-fearing, honest, and incorruptible to be their leaders in charge of thousands, hundreds, fifties, and tens. Normally, they will settle the people's disputes. They should bring you the difficult cases, but ordinary matters they should decide themselves. In this way, they will make it easier for you and share the load with you. Verse 23, if you do this and God is directing you to do it, I just love this because what he's doing now is saying, listen, I'm going to sow some advice into you, but I want you to take it to the Lord and get confirmation. So what I say, and if God is directing you to do it, verse 23, you will be able to endure and all these people too will arrive at their destination peacefully. Listen, I've pondered this. Adonai spoke to Moshe face-to-face as a friend. Yet it's Moshe's father-in-law who gives him this sage advice regarding these disputes and resolving legal issues in the nation to adjudicate these arguments. Hey, why didn't Adonai teach this to Moshe? How come he didn't command him, here's what you should do? The lesson from Adonai is our need for each other. We need wise older mentors. I've shared this before. I've seen a group of young people, 25 or 30, sit around 15 or 20 at a time and dispense advice and career, career advice to each other. Here's what you should do. Here's how you get into ministry. There's nothing wrong with that because young people, we, we need your fire. We need your passion, your strength, your zeal. But can I share you? You also need our wisdom and those older than us who have the experience, who can keep us from the mistakes that they've already made, that can guide us to the correct path of success. The lesson from the Lord here is that we need each other. Moshe is 80, yet he has a teachable spirit. Jethro, who's 100, is willing to speak into Moses's life. Moshe himself has a mentor in his father-in-law. And of course, as I said, Joshua's there listening as well. We're created to be in community and fellowship, to learn from our elders, to learn from our younger people. We must have a teachable spirit to have that drive and passion of the young generation, but to have the wisdom and the knowledge of the older generation. We can't do it without each other. Jethro also told Moshe to teach the people so they will know the law themselves and know what to do. That is profound. 
They listen. He'd been up at Mount Sinai. We got these things going on, but it's not been relegated out to each and every individual. Teach them the way they should go, that they would not depart from it. We'll cut his caseload in half. In verse 24, Moshe pays attention to his father-in-law's counsel and did everything he said. This marks a profound revolutionary transition for Moses. That very day, upon receiving Jethro's constructive criticism, Moshe moved from ministering to leading. Let me say that again, because this is for some of you listening to this right now. You're ministers, but you're not leading. Upon receiving Jethro's constructive criticism, Moshe, Moses moved from ministering to leading. Instead of doing everything by himself, how many congregations do this? 20 years ago when we started, Rebetson and I, we did everything ourselves. And it became apparent as, as we grew, we can't do this or we're going to kill ourselves. Instead of doing everything himself, he now raised up leaders according to their gifting and delegated authority to them, joining him in leading. And here's the, here's the power to this, not just delegating, but as delegating and empowering You've got to train, raise up, and do everything necessary for them to be completely successful. The government of Israel just experienced exponential growth. Moshe changed the way he thought and the way he worked through teamwork. At 80, Moses was teachable. Moses committed to communicate, to teach the people the laws, which would decrease the cases. Moses lays out the vision and created a plan in verses 20 through 21. Moses is trained, empowered, and released them to do the work in verse 22. Moshe did only what they couldn't do also in verse 22. He learned of his limitations. He took constructive criticism. He moved forward. He failed forward and corrected it, making now an entire group of leaders around him that would help him in succeeding to get them to the border of the promised land. Listen, I want to share with you as we came into the pandemic a year ago, this is exactly where I went back to in scripture. And I think I shared this earlier over the summer. What we did was put captains over 10, over 50s, over 100s. We did this in the congregation. We worked for two weeks to get every congregate's name, phone number, cell phone, email address. Listen, we had a roster, but it was rough. And what we did was assign by area, by regions in our area. Remember, because a year ago, we were virtual only from March until the end of May. And so we employed this. I I can't do this. I can't call 350 people two or three times a week. Time doesn't allow it. But by instilling this over the congregation, we had a couple that would call 10 people. That couple then called other couples who were over 50 who called over a director who oversaw this whole thing who made a report to me twice a week. And wh- why is that? Because it was time of times of great duress. It was times of anxiety. No one knew exactly what was going on. You, you couldn't get certain paper products. And so we pulled all of our resources. And those that didn't have, we got it to them. Those that needed help, we helped. Those who just needed prayer, we prayed with them. We had so many people say, wow, it was such a blessing to know that someone was reaching out to me twice a week and asking, am I okay, that we care? We got comments from our congregates who were talking to their neighbors and said, hey, my church in two months has never called me. They've never asked to see if I'm okay. Do I need anything? Listen, this is the effects of community. This is what it's all about. Did not Yeshua tell us to love our brother as ourself? And when we employ these uh, 
understandings, we employ these leadership skills, when we have a teachable spirit, when we reach out, we see the glory of God revealed in all that we do. Acts of kindness open eyes of blindness. I pray you have a teachable spirit. My prayer is that you would have a zeal and passion to learn about the kingdom, about things of the supernatural, that you would develop your gifts and skills that God gave you, that you may glorify and honor God in all that you do with a spirit of excellence to the very best of your ability. May the Lord bless you and keep you. 